Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Anybody infatuated with, their pre- with his presence tonight? Anybody want to dwell in his presence tonight? Come on, I'm a worshiper. I feel at home tonight. I want to encourage us just around worship real quick. I promise I'm going to get into the sermon. Uh, but it's always good to have a sermon before the sermon, all right? Uh, I was doing some research for a whole nother message. And I began to read about the woman with the issue of blood. Anybody familiar with this woman? Come on, if you've been in church for longer than two months, I think you've heard about the woman with the issue of blood. And the Bible says that she suffered with this issue for how long? Come on, Bible nerds. How long did she suffer with this issue? 12 years that she suffered with this hemorrhaging menstrual issue. And as I began to research, I began to realize that with modern medicine, with modern doctors, with modern hospitals and modern technology, she could have actually lived with that issue in the year 2022 for 12 years. But in the first century, without modern doctors and without modern medicine, without modern technology or hospitals, the prognosis would have been that she could have only lived for 18 to 24 months with this issue. But how many people know, oh, she made it past the 24 month mark. She made it into year three with a problem that should have killed her on year two. She made it into year four. She made it into year She made it into year, she made it into year, and, and, and made it a whole decade with a problem that should have killed her in 18 or 24 months. Then she made it 11 years. She had the nerve to make it 12 years. And there are some Christians who will only worship when you get healed on year 12, but not at 12 church. We're the kind of people that will worship even when we're still sick in our body because we realize I don't worship God for the results. I worship him for his character, for who he is that the same God that heals on year 12 is the same God sustaining your life on year three, sustaining your life on year four, sustaining your life on year five. And my confession tonight is God, I may not be healed yet, but I'm here. I may not be healed, but I'm alive. I may not be healed, but God, I am in your house. I'm in your presence, and I'm going to be thankful. I'm not going to be entitled. I'm not going to throw the picket sign up. I'm not going to protest because of all the things you haven't done. Come on. To anyone in the room who has unresolved issues, I can't shortchange his praise on year three and expect a miracle on year 12. See, the real worshiper says, I don't just praise him for the stuff I can see, but God, you've kept me from dangers seen and unseen. 
And for all the invisible stuff you've done, come on, I give your name praise. For the things you're doing behind the scenes, I give your name praise. It takes faith to worship God. So God, I worship you for all the things that my natural eye can't discern. I don't see the results yet, but I'm gonna worship you. I don't see the breakthrough yet, but I'm gonna praise you. I don't see the issue resolved yet, but I believe by faith. It's handled. It's handled. It's handled. It's handled. I want to speak this over you. As I was reading, it's Mark chapter 5 that this woman's story can be found in. I always just thought about her as the woman who suffered for 12 years. She's a suffering woman. She just suffered. And the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. Said, no. She didn't suffer for 12 years. She survived for 12 years. And I wonder if there's any survivors in the room tonight. Come on, you didn't suffer through the divorce. You survived the divorce. You didn't suffer through bankruptcy. Come on, you survived bankruptcy. You didn't just suffer through COVID. You didn't just suffer through a pandemic. You survived the pandemic. Come on, you didn't just suffer through the abuse. No, you survived the neglect. You survived the abuse. You're a survivor. So God, we bring you a survivor's praise tonight. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for keeping me in my right mind. Thank you. God, I could have I lost my mind in the middle of what the enemy threw my way, but God, you sustained me. God, it was your grace and your mercy that kept me. I want to help you free. I want to help you reframe your narrative. Because if you only see yourself as someone who suffered, the enemy can always turn you into a victim. But we declare today that you're not a victim. Oh, come on. Weapons may have been forged against you, but no weapon formed against you will prosper because you're the head only and not the tail. You're above only and never beneath. Come on, the anointing of the Lord is on your life. God is for you not against you. So God, we thank you that your presence is in the room. God, we need your presence more than we need anything else. And like the woman with the issue of blood, whoo, this ain't even my sermon for tonight. Okay, come on. The solution to her problem was there in physical form. It's not until she put a demand on the supply that the power that was always there became available to her. Worship places a demand on the supply that heaven already has. Heaven has a supply for you, a supply for the very issue that you're overcome by. I wanna help us tonight because in worship we praise the character and the nature of God and God is eternally present. He stands outside of time. He's eternally present in the past, eternally present in the present, eternally present in the future. Which is why the Bible says he's an ever-present help. Where? In the time of trouble. I want to help you with this because that word present, it means pre-sent. Okay. <laughs> Come on, present means 
pre-sin. Which means when you get to the trouble, God pre-sin himself to meet you in the time of trouble. The problem is new to you. The problem is not a surprise to God. The problem didn't catch him off guard. God is present in your problem that you're about to face in five years. God is already there like, yep, my peace is already here for you. My mercy is already here for you. The provision you need, it's already here because I don't have to think about how to meet your need. I'm already present in needs you don't even know you have yet. So God, I praise you now for the miracles that are in my future. I praise you in the present for the solutions that are already present in my tomorrow. I don't need to worry. I don't need to be afraid. I worship you. I'm not present in my tomorrow yet, but you're there. You know exactly what I need. And you can give me a word today that you know will sustain me through the storm coming tomorrow. So God, I ask that your presence would be in the room. The presence that breaks strongholds would be in the room. Yoke-destroying anointing would be in the room. God, we place a demand on heaven's supply. And God, we ask that the same thing that Jesus said that day, I felt power leave from me. We ask that heaven would say that today. Heaven, would you feel power leave because of what we did down here? God, meet our needs. Come on, in Jesus' name we pray. Come on, and we all said together, amen, amen, amen. Come on, can somebody say hallelujah? Come on, hallelujah. Somebody praise God in faith. Give God a hand clap of praise. You can high five somebody, grab a seat. Um, I'm super, super honored to be at Dwell Church for outpour service. Anybody got high expectations tonight? Like, I didn't just come out uh, for religious form or function, but I want to meet with God. I want a word from the Lord. Uh, David said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'm, I'm a little nerdy, so a thousand days is about two and a half years, if you were wondering. Um, and uh, I believe that God can tell me something in one day that will set up the next three, four, five years of my life. So the reason that one day is better than a thousand elsewhere is because one day in God's presence can give me a prophetic sense for the next five years to come. And so that's why we gather. We gather because we want God to give us prophetic insight and give us divine strategies for how to overcome every obstacle the enemy has placed before us. Can I get an amen in church? Um, anybody love Pastor David and Nicole Binion? Come on, anybody love your pastors? That was a little weak. I'm gonna ask you one more time. Anybody love Pastors David and Nicole Binion? There we go. Come on, we honor you. Thank you so much. Um, for having me. This, this is a treat uh, for me. Uh, most of the time, I got to get on airplanes to go preach places, but I live in Dallas, Texas, y'all, so I drove to Dwell Church today, and uh, I'm super excited because our friendship started on Instagram, okay? Uh, you know, I'm a good old-fashioned millennial like that, so uh, our friendship started on Instagram, moved to 60 Vines, we had brunch together, and then we got a chance to minister together at a conference recently, and uh, we are already family, and so uh, I love you 
you guys. And uh, thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, we're believing that God's going to pour out his spirit tonight in a mighty way. Uh, and so thank you. Thank you for inviting me and being super hospitable to me and my wife. My wife has taken my son somewhere. He made it through worship that, you know, he can't make it through the sermon. He's 15 months old, okay? And uh, he loves worship, but the sermon, he's just kind of like, what's, what's that, okay? Uh, um, and so uh, I think he's, his bedtime's coming up soon. He's back there doing some things. I'd have my wife stand up, but uh, she's back there handling my son. Uh, but are you ready for the word? Yes. You ready for the word? Uh, can I encourage us just a little bit before we even get into the word? That was three of you. Okay, we're going to do this one more time. Also, I'm black, which means I grew up preaching in a black church, okay? There's no ambiguity or confusion at a black church whether or not you're doing a good job or a bad job, okay? If you're doing a bad job, bad job means your jokes ain't funny. A bad job means that uh, you're taking the text out of context, okay? A bad job means you lean in too heavy on condemnation but not conviction. A bad job means you lean in one way either to truth or grace but not balancing both, okay? And a church mama ain't never been to seminary, but she know when she hear heresy, okay? Church mama will stand up in a minute like, I don't know about that one, son, okay? If you're doing a bad job at a black church, okay, the church mamas typically sit in this section of the room over here here, sometimes wearing a little doily cap, if depending upon the denomination. Uh, if you're, dude, you're doing a bad job, one of the church mamas will stand up and say, help him, Holy Ghost. <laughs> to which, you're not even mad, you know, at the church mama. You're actually agreeing with her at that point. You're like, I know this sermon ain't good. <laughs> you know what? I add my faith to the church mama's faith. Holy Ghost, please help me. However, if you at that same black church, okay, and you preaching good, Good means uh, a good sermon is like a Disney movie, okay? Kids like it, teenagers like it, grandma likes it, adults like it, everybody like it, okay? A good sermon is the perfect balance of grace and truth uh, because truth offends but grace comforts, okay? Too much grace and we'll make room for anything. Too much truth and we become Pharisees. A good sermon has the perfect balance of grace and truth. A good sermon brings conviction, not condemnation. A good sermon uh, will make you cry one minute and laugh the next, okay? A good sermon. If you had a black church and you preaching good, a church mama that would have said help him Holy Ghost the week before will just begin to stand up and look at you like something stank, okay? A church mama will begin to say things like, boy, you better preach. Let's go. Make it plain, son. Teach the people. Teach the people. Say it again for the folks in the back, okay? A church mama will begin to say stuff at you like, amen. Man, okay, a church mom will begin to say stuff like, I didn't know you had it like that, okay? I didn't know. I was not ready, okay? Uh, uh, my favorite thing that a church mama will say is this, take your time, preacher. Take your time, okay? Here we go. So um, some of us, uh, a lot of us in here woke up black this morning. For everybody who didn't wake up black this morning, you black tonight, okay? Okay, so you're gonna holler back at me, all right? Talk back to me, all right? Um, um, I don't know if you had a mama like mine, but if I was crying for no reason, my mama would say, you better either stop crying or I'm gonna give you something to... We had the same mama. 
had the same mama. That's crazy, okay? Uh, and so I always like to tell people, um, if, 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 if uh, you act bored while I'm preaching, you got two options. Stop acting bored, or I'm going to give you something to be bored about, okay? I will bust open Leviticus in a heartbeat, okay? We'll just start reading about ceremonial laws, okay? But if I'm preaching good, you let me know, okay? Say amen. Talk back to me. Uh, and not because the ego of the preacher needs that. That's not why we're vocal in church. We're vocal in church because the power of life and death is in your tongue. Not the preacher's tongue, but in your tongue. The pastor can preach so they blew in the face. But if you don't add an amen, if you don't add a, yeah, that's for me, to the words that the preacher is saying, then you are not going to experience victory in your life. Come on. If the preacher's preaching about peace, even if you had a panic attack on your way to church, you don't allow the enemy to make you all silent and awkward and mute. You begin to take authority and say, amen, so let it be. I'm not saying amen because it's true right now. I'm saying amen because it's true in faith. Come on, I need a good amen right there. Um, I just want to encourage us around, I don't know if the, you know, the marching around the wall, song, was that spontaneous? I never know with Pastor David. I'm like, this could be a song, this could be spontaneous. I have no idea. Um, can I, I just want to give just a little bit, I, because as soon as you begin to sing it, I, I just thought, man, that's prophetic for, for the church, for the people that are in the room. Um, and I got a sermon, but I just want to encourage us around just that one line of that song. Can I do that really quickly? I promise I'm going to do it quickly, but I want us to have, I always, there we go, come on. There was a, that was about five take your times, and each one is 10 minutes, so that's, that's good. 10, 20, 30, 40. Okay, come on, come on. I just want to read this really quick. If you have your Bible, I just want you to go to Joshua chapter 2. Um, be, because a, a good worship leader sings Bible. And as I, was in, as I was just sitting, standing in worship, I went, oh, that, that's Matthew chapter 17. Oh, that's Exodus chapter 33. I just, like, it's just Bible comes out of y'all, you know? And so I just want to give context because maybe, just maybe, there's a wall of opposition in front of someone tonight. Um, and, and I want you to continue to sing that song this week. And so I want to give you just a little bit of, of context for why that song is so powerful, okay? Joshua chapter two, if you got it in your Bible, say got it, okay? Joshua chapter two, this ain't even my sermon. This is just something that I think is gonna encourage you. Joshua chapter two, verse 15. Joshua chapter two, verse 15. It says this, so she let, the, the she here is Rahab, okay? Rahab. So she let them down by a rope through the what? Through the what? For the house she lived in was part of the city. Uh, part of the city what? Okay, I need you to get this. I need you to get this. It took me a whole master's degree to learn this. It's right here in the Bible. That in the ancient world, walls were valuable real estate. They took up a lot of space. And so smart city engineers would place homes in the wall. So Rahab lives in the wall of Jericho. Wow. Get this? So she lets the spies down through what? 
the window that's where? In the wall. I want to speak this prophetically over your life. That God will always place a window in every wall of opposition that the enemy has placed to keep you out of your promise and out of everything that God has for you, your, here we go, your job is to focus on the window. Come on. And walls are always larger than windows. So there's a lot of us that are frustrated. Because we see the enemy constructing a wall. Why is there a wall going up? Don't act like you ain't never been mad. (laughs) That there's a wall. There's something blocking you from the promise you know that you're intended to inherit. That you are called by God to conquer. And all of a sudden, a wall starts getting built up. And you begin to ask the Lord, why is there a wall going up in the exact point of entry where I'm supposed to come into the most blessed season of my life? And God begins to say, because I always let the enemy do my dirty work for me. You've never seen a floating window. It's architecturally impossible for me to put a window there until the enemy puts a wall there. I let the enemy place a wall of opposition because I want to come through and put a window of opportunity inside of every wall of opposition that the enemy has set up to keep you out. I want to release this over you. There's a window in your wall. 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 Do you see the window? Or do you see the wall? Because... I've got a sneaky suspicion. I got a sneaky suspicion that, that, that the people of Israel, the army of Israel, they're not just shouting at the wall. <laughs> We've always been taught to shout at walls. I don't think they're shouting at the wall. They're shouting because they've gotten a prophetic glimpse of what's through the window so I can praise on this side of the wall because God has already shown me what's on the other side of the wall and every lap they take around Jericho the two spies go that's Rahab's window that's Rahab's window that window marked with the blood come on she said there's a crimson cord in the window because the 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 God that we serve has already marked the window God is not a God that would tease you God's not a God that will show you something that you can't take hold of. If God has shown it to you, then God wants you to take hold of it. The the wall should not deter you. The wall should not discourage you. The wall has to be there. God can't put a window there until the enemy is done building a wall. So God just sits back. Let the enemy build a wall. Go ahead. Build a wall. All you're doing is setting me up to put a window of opportunity so that my people can see everything that I have for them. God is not a man that he would lie or the son of man that he would change his mind. What he said, he will do. And you have to determine, although the wall is easier to see, 
I am going to open up the eyes of faith. And I'm going to see the window that is present in every wall of opposition. Can I go a little deeper? Can we, can, can I help you? Doctor said me and my wife would never get pregnant. It's by a lot, like medically impossible. For five years, doctors gave us the same report. You guys will never get pregnant. We, and, and so we made a tradition. I feel like family. Okay, so we all just, we made a tradition. Every time we went to the doctors and they gave us bad news, we went to Target. Because that's where they got baby stuff. So we get bad news. The doctors said, you need to adopt. Doctor said, you need to get a sperm donor. Doctor said, you need to get an egg donor. Doctor said, it'll never happen. And every time the doctors gave us a negative report, we drove right to Target, bought a crib. More bad news, bought onesies. More bad news, bought a diaper genie. More bad news, I'm gonna buy a car seat. Every time the doctors gave us bad news, I laughed at what the enemy was trying to say. Because I don't see walls. I see windows. I'm not gonna focus on the wall. I'm not saying the wall's not there. Faith doesn't deny facts. Faith simply adds God's truth to man's facts. Come on, come on. The, 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 the credit score is a fact. Come on, that's a fact. But the loan officer doesn't know the truth. The truth is that Jehovah Jireh is your, is your God. I'm not denying the facts. I'm just simply saying until I get God's perspective on these facts, I don't have the full picture. Every time they gave us bad news, I was like, okay, great. This is now, in our, the ball's now in my court. I have the decision to make. Do I have faith in the doctor or do I have faith in God? This is a decision that I have. And I remember one time we're in Target and there's a couple in there shopping for their kid. They got a five-month-old kid. And, you know, they, I'd never made conversation with nobody while I was on one of these trips. And this is the first time they said, oh, how old is your kid? And it was an opportunity for the enemy to make me feel awkward and stupid. Come on, can we be real? I don't even think you in faith till you feel stupid. If you don't feel stupid, you still in logic. (laughs) If you don't feel stupid, I felt stupid. Stupid, this is stupid. I remember sitting in the doctor's office and, you know, they, they always leave. Right. And they would leave me and her in the room by ourselves. And, you know, I was like, I got a crazy idea. My wife goes, we, we going to Target? And I'm like, <laughs> no. I said, we need to buy a house. Because, because if we're actually believing God to get pregnant, this 800-square-foot apartment is not conducive. It's okay for now. But I'm not living in now. I'm living in my future already. And if I'm gonna put a demand on heaven's supply, then I need to do something radical. So we went back to that same loan officer that said we couldn't get a loan. Same real estate agent that said you need to get the loan first, you need a pre-approval letter first. And began to extend our tent pegs. 
Because I don't get new wine till I get some new wineskins. I don't, I don't get, I don't get what God has for me till I make room for what God has for me. And I remember we 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 bought a, a a house with three bedrooms. Why we need three bedrooms? We ain't got no kids. We go to the we. I remember this like I've never told this story before actually. So this is awesome. Um, you made a mistake. You told me I didn't have no time constraints. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I remember. The, the market, there we go. The market in North Carolina was crazy at the time. And people are, you know, offering $10,000, $30,000 more than asking price. I walked into this house. My realtor showing me houses finally get pre-approved. Realtor walks me into this house. And as soon as I walk into the house, the Holy Spirit says, you're going to bring your child home to this house. Okay? Holy Spirit said, you're going to bring your child home to this house. I walk up the stairs. I go to the left. There's a master bedroom. I go to the right, and the Holy Spirit goes, this is the room. This is your kid's room. I knew I didn't have $30,000 above asking to offer this woman for this house. Okay? I wrote this woman a letter. Everybody said, writing people letters don't work. I wrote a letter. I said, ma'am, I could not help but notice you had anointing oil in your master bedroom, which means you got to be some kind of believer, okay? You had angel figurines downstairs, and you had anointing oil in the master bedroom. I said, whether you accept my offer or not, I want to let you know I've blessed this house already. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I've blessed this home. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. And me and my wife have been struggling to get pregnant for five years. And I believe that the second bedroom down the hall on the left is going to be the room that I bring my child home to. We bought that house. And here's the principle. God doesn't make the whales and then go, uh-oh, where am I going to put them? God does not make birds and then go, uh-oh, I ain't got no sky for them yet. God doesn't make the animals and then have to create dry land. No, God forms first, fills second. So God carves out dry land, then puts animals. Carves out sky, then puts birds. Carves out the ocean, then puts the sea creatures. You can't ask God to fill stuff that you're not available to form. You cannot ask God to fill your life with a child and you've given him nothing to actually work with. You've made no space. You've done nothing. You're just waiting passively. And God goes, no, no, no. Faith is not passive. Faith is action. I want you to feel stupid every step of the way. Until you feel dumb, you're still in control. Because logic puts you in the driver's seat. Rationale keeps you in control. And God says, no, I want you to swim out so deep that you can't sustain where you're taking yourself. I want you to create impossible scenarios for me. I want to see whether or not you actually believe me. I want you to open up your mouth and tell people, yeah, I bought a house. There's multiple bedrooms because I'm bringing a kid home from the hospital 
to this house. I wanted you to stand in Target and tell people holding babies that I'm here buying stuff, not for a physical baby, but for a baby in faith. By the time we had the baby shower, almost everything on the registry was already purchased by me in faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things, come on, not seen. I remember we did a 40-day fast. We did a 40-day fast, believing God for, for my son, who was loved worship, by the way. He loved it. I could tell. He's clapping his little hands. Uh, and I remember that the room with the crib and the diaper genie and the onesies and, and all the stuff that I'd accumulated over years of just, and then I got crazy. I started taking people with me to Target. <laughs> I took Jesse with me to Target. Like, yeah, I need you to watch me wow. do something stupid. Wow. This is, we're just going to get dumber and dumber. It's going to get more and more illogical. I'm too far down this path. I'm not turning back, okay? I remember we were on a 40-day fast, and, I'm, and I made my kids' faith room my prayer closet. Just lay prostrate in that room every day for 40 days. And here was my prayer. God, show me what's through the window. Because all the doctors are showing us is the wall. God, open my eyes to see what's on the other side of this window. Because there's a window in the wall. There's a window in the wall. And I can't see it with my natural eye. And I remember I had to be laying prostate on the floor, praying. And God would begin to give me glimpses of my kids. I remember the first time we went in for ultrasound and I saw this little 3D print out of this dude. It's like, this is not my first time seeing you. Wow. I've already seen you. I've seen you already. The thing that keeps them marching for days and days and days and days is that they had gotten a glimpse of what was on the other side. Real worship is when you're on this side of the wall but you know what God showed you through the window of faith. And so I can worship on this side of the wall, not at the wall. I'm not directing my shout at the wall. The wall is actually coming down as a byproduct of how excited I am of what I saw through the window. This was meant to be a five minute. <laughs> this is just meant to just kind of give us depth for the spontaneous song we went into. So here's my prayer tonight. Come on. Lay hands on your eyes. Come on. God, open the window of faith for me. Come on. Show me what's on the other side of this wall. Show me what's on the other side of this wall. Come on. I need a vision. I need a vision. I need a vision. I need a vision. All I see is problem, negative report, issues, but got my feet are getting tired marching around because I, I can't see what's on the other side. But God, give me a glimpse. Give me a glimpse of Canaan. Give me a glimpse of Canaan. Give me a glimpse of Canaan. 
Come on, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you receive that by faith tonight? Come on. Can we receive that by faith tonight? Uh, I'm going to read two, two verses of Scripture uh, for us tonight. And I, I hope that that encouragement was, was helpful. And uh, I had no, zero plans of talking about none of that. But that's actually the power of creating space for, for worship to happen. Um, because it's, it's more than just the notes on the iPad. When worship can function freely, the, 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 the Holy Ghost just wants to talk. And so the, the Holy Ghost, it, we're a team. The Holy Ghost talking through the worship. He's talking through the message. And, and I was just kind of on the, on the front row and just going, oh, man. I, I can't even get into the whole glory of the Lord thing that y'all did. But anyway. Whew. Sure, yeah, let's go. This is fun. <laughs> it's not my normal preaching style. This is fun. This is great. Uh, come on. Uh, Exodus 33 and Matthew 17. It's as soon as you guys went into, I want to see your glory, okay, that, 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 those words come out of Exodus chapter 33, okay? Moses says that at the very end of the chapter. Now, here's, here's the part that I need you to get. Moses understands that what he's saying is, I'm willing to die. Do we get this? Seeing the glory of God... And the Old Testament means one thing, yeah. you die. Yeah. Moses is so infatuated with the Lord, he says, I, I'll pick up my cross and follow you in the Old Testament. Whoa. Yeah. Come on, I need you to stay with me, okay? I, 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 lo I love you. I'm willing to pay the ultimate price to see you. And God is like, nah, I still got some work for you to do down here. So. I will show you the residue of my glory. Yeah. I'll let my glory walk through the cleft of the rock. I'll hide you and you can see my glory. Yeah. I love this because this is how I know Moses was able to write Genesis. Yeah. Wow, yes, yes, Because yeah. God shows Moses his history. You get it. Moses is not born till Exodus, but Moses is able to write Genesis because God walked through the mountain and showed Moses all the stuff that was in his residue. Any? Okay, okay, come on. Okay, here we go. So God doesn't answer the prayer in Exodus 33. He just goes, buddy, if, if, if you get this prayer answered, you're going to die. But then we get Matthew 17. Jesus takes the disciples up on a mountain and transfigures before them, okay? The, 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 the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, are like, whoa, whoa, you are dazzling white, okay? Total transfiguration. And who's there? Because even though it takes God hundreds of years to answer your prayer, What is the glory of God? The face of Jesus. So the prayer finally gets answered. Stop being discouraged that prayers don't even get answered in your lifetime. 
Do you have enough faith to pray for stuff that your great-grandchildren are going to walk into? Or are you so selfish that you can't be an intercessor? The real heart of an intercessor is to say, I'm not praying so that I see stuff. I'm praying so that I see his glory. I don't just want to see results. I don't just want to see prayers answered in my life. God, I want you to do some stuff that outlives me. God brings Moses back from heaven to get him back on a mountain so that he can see Jesus transfigure because that is the answer to Moses' prayer in Exodus chapter 33. I want to be standing in Exodus 33 and have Matthew 17 faith that this is not going to come to pass for a long time, but I have faith for it now, and I believe I may die never seeing the answer. But God is faithful. Does that encourage anybody? Okay. That's the revelation I got while y'all was singing. Show me your glory. Okay. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Though it take five lifetimes, Show me your glory. Because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If God has given you a vision that you can accomplish in your own lifetime, it's too small. Is God giving you a vision for stuff that's going to take you passing the baton of faith on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation? Come on, God, I want, I want to pray prayers that it will take hundreds of years to come to pass. I want to pray prayers that make me feel stupid. (laughs) Come on. Last thing I'll say, and then I'm actually going to get to the message. (laughs) Yeah, then I'll I'll start preaching. (laughs) For anyone who's got ears to hear, knows I've been started preaching. I started preaching a long time ago. But um, um, in the middle of me and my wife's infertility battle, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, was on a speaking engagement, and the Holy Ghost convicted me, which always happens, right? Every time I thought, well, let me just go ahead and tell God how he ain't doing what I need him to do, the Holy Ghost would start convicting me. Like, have you bought a house yet? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> have you gone to Target lately? Like, I mean, the, I would try to make it his problem, and the Holy Ghost would keep being like, no, homie. <laughs> no, 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 no. On the cross, I said it is done, so... It is already done. The ball is only in your court, okay? And so I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm on a speaking engagement, and I'm, I'm frustrated. Um, I'm frustrated because me and my wife have done IVF already. Um, we have spent $25,000 of money we really don't have, um, and we miraculously get pregnant, and then we have a miscarriage. Um, probably the best day of my life, followed by the worst day of my life within a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, I'm just vulnerable with God. I'm like, you are really not doing what, what my human brain tells me you should be doing, you know? Um, and, and here's what the Holy Ghost said to me. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'll never forget it. I'm actually about to go up to preach and I'm just off on the side. Worship was going on and I'm fussing with God, you know? And, um, and the Holy Spirit said, have you prayed for your grandchildren yet? 
And I'm like, now, God, just stay focused. Just, I need you to stay focused, okay? I'm praying for children, okay? My children. And the Holy Ghost says, yeah, but have you prayed for your grandchildren? And I'm just like, I'm not here for you to confront me or challenge me. I'm mad at you. I'm the plaintiff here. You're the defendant, okay? You're, why are you countersuing me? Why, what, what is going on? What are, you, what are you doing? Okay? I'm like, God, I'm just frustrated. You haven't given us children yet. And God goes, because you're so distracted by the thing you want that you can't pray for what's past the thing you want. You're so focused on the thing, on the thing you want that you can't see past it. Can you pray for your grandchildren? Can you pray for your great-grandchildren? But I don't have a child yet. Remember, on the cross I said it is done. You do. But I don't have it with me. You have it. And you'll never have it physically until you believe you have it, that you've received it. I've received it. Okay? This is stupid faith. <laughs> stupid. This, this, doesn't, this doesn't line up with logic. This is 2 plus 2 equals 18. This is, God just is like, yeah, no, pray for your grandchildren. And I remember started, I started praying for my grandchildren. Like, who am I to, to lift up your head? Lift up your head. Pass the issue. Lift up your head to the hills where your help comes from. Get your eyes off the problem and get past the problem. There's a window in the wall. Come on, here we go. Let me encourage you. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Anybody getting something out of tonight? Anybody getting something out of tonight? Okay, great. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Y'all gonna have a difficult problem getting rid of me. I really like, this is awesome. I feel free. There's just like a freedom. Um, it's just a freedom to not just preach, but minister. So um, for, for, for Samuel chapter 13, I just wanna show you a, a, a thought, okay? I just wanna share this with you. Um, this, is, this is gonna be kind of a, a, a message where we marry faith and worship because they're connected. They're 100% connected. F worship requires faith. Because in without faith, it is impossible to please him. Because anyone who comes to him must what? Believe that he exists. I can't worship a God that I don't believe exists. And it, re it requires faith to do that. that. That he exists and that he what? Rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Okay, can, I just want to back up to, and without faith, it is impossible to what? Come on, it is impossible to what? Jesus. Here's where we fall into error. We begin to believe that without faith, it is impossible to get a breakthrough. Or, and without faith, it is impossible to get a miracle. Yeah. Or without faith, it is impossible for some outcome to happen. Right. Let me tell you, friend, if you think that faith is for results, then the enemy can always come into your mind and say, see, you wasted faith on that. 
But if you know that faith is not for results, but for a relationship, that what does my faith do? It pleases God. So even if I have faith and the result that I want, it doesn't happen, I can say to the enemy, my faith is never a waste because faith pleases God. Every single time I exercise faith, my faith is not to get stuff. My faith is to get into his presence because faith pleases him. That's the number one thing faith is for, to please God. So I went to Target, bought the diaper genie, never got pregnant. Great. The faith pleased God. I went to Target out of obedience because I know faith pleases God. I didn't go to Target to buy the diaper genie to get pregnant. Getting pregnant is just a byproduct of pleasing God. And if you're so distracted by the byproduct... You'll withhold worship the whole 12 years you sick with an issue. You can praise God for 12 years even though he hasn't healed you because you know that faith pleases God. It just pleases him. I'm here to please God. This is why faith and worship go together. Worship pleases God. Faith pleases God. I'm not a gold digger. I'm a God pleaser. We get this. Do, am I blessed? Yes. Duh. But I'm not blessed because I went after blessings. I'm blessed because I decided to please the one who just blesses people. And if I make it about how much he's blessed me, then I'm going to have a really hard time when things get taken away from my life. I have a real hard time when we have a miscarriage. Come on, because sometimes we preach faith to people, but the stuff that we preach can't get them through hard times. No, my faith is to what? Please God. God told me to invite somebody to church. I invited them to church. They didn't get saved. I didn't use my faith to get them saved. I used my faith to please God. The enemy can never convince me that my faith was a waste if faith is always to please God. That's what faith is. It's to please God. My job is to do what God said. God's job is to bring increase. I don't try to micromanage his job. One plants, one waters, God brings harvest. My job is not harvest. My job is plant water. I stay in my lane. God stays in his lane. Everybody's happy. I start trying to manufacture harvest, we have a problem. My job is to have faith that pleases God. God, you take care of the results. That's your job. Not my job, your job. Okay? So 1 Samuel chapter 13, okay? We're going to marry worship and faith. Because they are the right and the left hand of our relationship with God. Worship and faith. Here we go. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13. Okay, we're gonna, I'm actually going to give you a thought from a very familiar passage of Scripture, David and Goliath, which is going to be 1 Samuel chapter 17. But if we take text out of context, we'll always preach stuff that is self-help and self-glorification. So we want to put this text, which is David and Goliath, in some context. So we're going to back it up four chapters and get some context. First Samuel chapter 13. It says this, not a could be found 
in the whole land of because who the had said otherwise the Hebrews will make or give, give me verse 20 um, Nah, we don't need that one give me verse 21 ah we don't even need that one give me verse 22 there's some boring details in verse 20 and 21 like how many shekels it costs to repoint goads and how to use farm tools and that's fine oh oh here we go I know verse 22 here we go do you have it in your Bible it should say so on the day of the battle not a soldier with Saul or Jonathan had a sword or a only Saul and his son Jonathan had what a sword or a here we go I need to preach this to you I need you to get this because David grows up in a generation with no swords millions of people in Israel and there's no blacksmith this is why we got to honor pastors because the pastor the blacksmith the pastor only has a job if you actually use your sword all week uh oh uh oh uh oh so Sunday the pastor gets your sword back straight then you use it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you should use your sword so much that you need the blacksmith to come straighten out again on Sunday. If you come to church for the pastor to straighten out your sword and then you go put it on a mantle like it's decoration, uh-oh. This is why the people who get the most out of the sermon are people who have spent time in God's word all week because now the pastor is confirming what the Holy Spirit's been saying to you not giving you new information but giving you depth on the revelation that your spirit already knows this is what happens when you're in a room and what the what the preacher is saying resonates with you it resonates because you've been in the secret place and you've been studying the word and you've been going to battle and you've been fighting the enemy and you've been using your sword. David grows up in a generation with no swords, no spears, no blacksmiths, no one to even make a sword because the Philistines understand this. If we defeat the people of Israel, but don't disarm the people of Israel, then our days of overthrowing them are numbered. Because as long as we leave them with weapons, they will revolt and rebel against us. So the trick of the enemy is not simply to defeat you, but to disarm you. And you have to declare, I will not give up my weapon. The enemy may have defeated me, but baby, I've got 66 swords. I've got the Holy Ghost. I've got worship and praise. And I am armed and dangerous. The enemy may have defeated me. But he will not disarm me. Come on, I gotta go a little deeper. We gotta go, we gotta go deeper. Here we go. The enemy may have defeated me. Let's be real. All the Pharisees can leave the room. 
but for the rest of us normal people, <laughs> the devil be defeating us. Don't act like your temper never gets the best of you. Please don't act like that lust issue that you brought with you into your relationship with God never gets the best of you. Please don't act like anxiety never gets the best of you, which means the enemy be defeating us. This is true. But the thing that separates me from the angels is that God is not looking for me to be perfect. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. Okay, come on. Let's work this. The enemy has defeated me, and most times when the enemy defeats me, he then tells me I'm not worthy of weapons. So now I walk into a worship service, and what does the enemy do? Remind me of all my sin, failures, shortcomings, and attacks me with what? Guilt and shame so that I don't have the confidence necessary to take up the weapons that God has said are available to me, okay? So let's talk about this because the angels sing way better than all of us. <laughs> the angels got octaves and instruments built. The angels, the angels can sing, y'all, but no angel has ever praised for the blood. Because no angel has ever been given a second chance. No angel has ever been given grace. No angel has ever been given mercy. No angel has ever been given redemption. No angel has ever been given a new chance or a new mercy to start over. And so I may be defeated, but actually defeat allows me to give God praise from a special place. That God, I may not have it all together, but I'm still going to praise you. I know what I been struggling with, but I'm still going to praise you. I've got a thorn in my flesh, but I've also got hands that will lift your name up because I'm not going to allow defeat to turn into disarmament. You may have defeated me, but you will not disarm me. You will not disarm me. Because God definitely requires praise of us. But he does not require perfection. Does he require progress? Yeah. Perfection? No. No. And the, cur the constant temptation that we fall into is we think the enemy, sorry, we think God has taken our weapons away because of our sin God says, no, I never took your weapons away. It's that the enemy robbed you of your confidence to use the weapons that are actually very, very available to you because you think that this is by works. And I'm here to tell you that this is by grace. If this was by works, Moses wouldn't have been able to take up a weapon. David wouldn't have been able to take up a weapon. There's no character in the Bible that could actually pass my holiness test, okay? Let's be real. I know it. I get it. We are so often lacking the confidence necessary to take up the weapons that are available. 
not only just because I've fallen short, but also because I'm disappointed. How, how, how am I going to fight the enemy? There's no victory in my personal life. Come on. Okay. Can I, can I be vulnerable? Yes. Three years before me and Tia ever got pregnant, people would just come up to me and ask me to pray for them to have kids. Wow. And I remember going, now this is stupid. <laughs> what authority do I have to pray that you miraculously get pregnant? When this is a Goliath that I can't defeat. And I remember the first time, the very first time that Jason and Ashley, volunteers in our youth ministry, got pregnant with twins because we prayed for them. And I remember God going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need you to have victory in this area in order to see breakthrough happen in somebody else's life. I need you to have faith in this area. Come on, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. So on the day of the battle, come on, nobody's got a sword. Now I need you to see this, which means, ooh. Jesus, Jesus. Goliath makes a massive mistake. Comes out every day, taunting the people of Israel. I know y'all scared. My God is stronger than y'all's God. Send somebody to fight me. I'll, I'll feed their carcass to the birds every day until a dude named David rolled up. I love this because David goes, I see it. I see it. I see it. And everybody around him in my holy imagination is going, yeah, bro, we see it too. We see Goliath. And David is going, no, 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 no. There's a window in the wall. 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 There's a window in my wall. This is where I tell you my title. Here we go. Here's the title. I see my sword. I don't see giants. I see the weapon that the giant is holding that is going to be the next weapon that I'm going to use. Get this. I need you to see this. I need you to see this. Because guess what David never uses again? A sling or a stone. If David just loves slings and stones, then we so make the story about him killing the giant. The killing of the giant is just what has to happen for him to get the weapon. So here we go. It's the title of the sermon. I see my sword. I see my sword. I see my sword. You see a giant. That's why you're scared. I see a sword. That's why I'll attack. I see my sword. And the only real question is why is that giant holding my sword? God is not going to Amazon Prime your next weapon to your house. The next time you need to upgrade your artillery, God sends a giant into your life so that you can use the weapon you have to get the weapon you need. I've got to use what I've got to get what I need.
Come on. David uses a sling and a stone. He says, this is the last time I'm about to ever use a sling or a stone. I'm going to use the weapon I to get the weapon that I need. Look at this. Here we go. Because this, this, this only gets unlocked for worshipers. Okay? Whoo! Scholars, researchers, real smart people say that the weapon that David has, this is not a boy's toy. This is a violent projectile weapon. It would be the equivalent of a major league baseball player pitching a baseball at somebody's face at 95 miles an hour. So David uses a sling and a stone, releases the stone, and we know that this is violent and dangerous because what? The giant dies immediately. But I don't know if you've been to science class. If something traveling 95 miles an hour hits you in your face, the natural laws of gravity would dictate that you should fall David releases the stone and Goliath should have fallen backwards. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Goliath falls face forward because anybody can make a giant fall. Only a worshiper can make a giant worship. My job is not to get Goliath to fall. My job is to turn Goliath into a billboard for the glory and the power and the majesty and the miracle working power of God. Only worshipers can make giants worship. Come on, God, say something that's going to step on your toes. You need to hear it. Even a Buddhist can get over anxiety. Even a Muslim can get confidence. If the only goal is to make the giant die, it's a terrible goal. That's called self-help. You're just using God to get better at life. Uh-oh. I care more about God's glory than my goals. Therefore, I cause everything around me that's in opposition to him to fall and bow down because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The goal here is not just your personal victory. Let me tell you how this got reframed for me and my wife. I begin to say, the battle is not against me and infertility. The battle is between God and infertility. The battle is not about, is not between me and the giant. It's, what does David say? I've made this battle God's battle. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. This is between you and God. And I'm just here to force this giant to become a testament of God's power. This giant will worship. Come on, come on, come on. This giant will not just die. 
there are some of us in the room, all we've had faith for is for the giant to die. For the giant to fall. Can I speak this over you? The giant's not just gonna fall. The giant will bow. The giant will bow down. The giant is going to bow down and worship the God that you worship. See, faith and worship, they go together. David has to have faith to not be distracted by Goliath. But he then puts on display a lifestyle of worship that he had lived years before he ever got in front of the Goliath's face. It's the last thing I say, and then I'm gonna invite you to the altar. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to anybody tonight? Like, is the Holy Spirit speaking to anybody tonight? I've always struggled with this, okay? Because I'm a Bible nerd, and this has never made sense to me. David's a boy. At this part of the story, David's a boy. He's not huge. The Bible actually says he's, he's small, ruddy, handsome. Like, David is probably somewhere, teenager, young adult, somewhere in there. And I've always struggled with David's ability to pick up this giant sword. That's, I don't know if you've ever held a sword. Insanely heavy. Swords weigh a lot. And not only is it a sword, David's never held a sword. It's a giant's sword. It's a sword that's designed for someone who's triple, quadruple the size of David. How does David even have the muscular dexterity to not just seize the sword, but to pick it up? And then I begin to realize that every day David would carry his harp from the palace to his house, from the house to the palace, from the palace to the house, house to the palace. And then I, I never got it until I went to a wedding and there was a harp player. And I went, this ain't no violin. This ain't no ukulele. Harps are huge because it is carrying the weight of worship that develops you to carry the weight of the weapon that God actually has for you. Because worship is heavy. The word glory in Hebrew is kabod. It's how dense an object is. Density, density. It's not just weight, but density. Density is about how tightly compacted molecules are. So if something is dense, it means that the molecules, the atoms in that object are tightly connected. This is the difference between the presence of God and the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere at the same time. What does worship do? Worship causes God to gather in on himself. And the omnipresence of God becomes the presence of God. Why is it special that we dwell in God's presence? Why is it significant that we would worship at his feet? Because we're saying, God, there's some stuff that I need you to throw your weight behind. God, there's some doors my name doesn't open, but the weight that you bring into the scenario, it opens those doors. God, I will carry 
the weight of your presence. Because I don't just want to have the faith to see the weapon that I need. I want to have the disciplines that have actually developed me into a person that's strong enough to carry the sword that you've assigned to me. If you're in the room tonight and the enemy is just taking hit after hit after hit in terms of your faith. And tonight you're saying, man, I, Pastor Manny, I wanna leave with my faith on another level. And I don't wanna just leave with my faith high and then the weak drain me of faith again. No, I don't wanna be in this endless cycle where I'm full of faith when I'm in church, but then life just has this way of draining my faith. Come on, I wanna be somebody who sees the window in the wall. I wanna be somebody who sees the sword that the giant is holding. I wanna be somebody of strong faith, persistent faith, stubborn faith, faith that knows how to persevere, faith that can get through 12 years of suffering. God, I wanna be somebody with a gift of faith. If that's you tonight, come on, and your faith is taking a beating, but you know you need the gift of faith in order to accomplish the next thing that God has for you. Lift up your hands right where you are. God, we declare that the gift of faith is available in the room. God, we ask as your people worship you and praise you that God, that you would dispense faith in the room. God, we thank you right now that faith doesn't come from a preacher. It doesn't come from an atmosphere. No, it comes from heaven. It comes from you. So God, we declare right now Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.